0: This is Archive Atlanta, episode 162, White Primary. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. So this week's mini episode is about the history of Georgia's white-only primary. If you don't know, white primaries were primary elections held in the South in which only white voters could participate. And they were established by the Democratic Party and or state legislators in South Carolina, Florida, Mississippi, Alabama, Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, and Georgia. And so before we talk about this stuff and talk about Atlanta's role in it, I have to make the disclaimer that the versions of Republican and Democrat that I am talking about today in this post-Reconstruction era are ideologically opposite of the parties today. So it's confusing if you don't know that. This in itself is a really complicated thing to explain, but my friend King Williams has written about this, I think, in his newsletter and other places. So I'm going to try to find those, link them in the show notes so you can understand. I also did an episode 55 about Reconstruction way back in 2019. But just to give you some more kind of background and context The Civil War ended on April 9th, 1865, and Lincoln was assassinated less than a week later. Andrew Johnson becomes the president, and in an effort to quickly restore the Union, he allows the former Confederate states to essentially figure it out for themselves. This was called presidential reconstruction. In 1866, the Georgia legislature met, and they rejected the 14th Amendment. And so... This started to happen all over, which is why presidential reconstruction didn't work. Um, And then they instituted the Reconstruction Acts. Uh, And then we enter into a period called Congressional Reconstruction. Again, I'm talking about this very broadly, very quickly, but the episode talks about it in more detail. So this is really the first time after Congressional Reconstruction that African-American men were able to participate in state and local politics. The Georgia General Assembly gained 29 black Republicans, and the Georgia State Senate gained three black Republicans. And the backlash to this was swift. Uh, Joseph E. Brown, who was governor during the Civil War, argued that the state constitution did not explicitly allow black men the right to vote. He did a very publicized speech in Marietta, um, where he said some terrible things. And then we expel the original 33, as these men were called. And by the 1890s, a quarter of the elected Black legislators had either been killed, threatened, beaten, or jailed. The last surviving member resigned in 1907, and there would be no Black representation in the entire state of Georgia until 1962. So let's go back, though, to 1871. Atlanta's population is about 21,000 people, almost half of them are Black, and then the 1890s come along. That is, when lynching was at an all-time high in the state, the bull weevil was wrecking havoc on crop prices. Um, Most people are leaving rural areas for bigger cities. And so Atlanta is the place to be. There is an influx in Black residents. And so that means we do stricter Jim Crow laws. We have the 1906 race massacre. We do racialized zoning, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The first mention that I found of a white primary in Atlanta was from October of 1892. So there was a race for mayor coming, and this committee of white men gathered in the Kimball House, I think it was the executive committee, and they were going to select who would be on this municipal ticket. And so one member almost immediately votes to make this an executive session, they called it. So that meant the doors would be closed and the press would be kicked out. There was some back and forth. That idea was shelved. And then Chairman Hopkins uh, stands up and he says, I have been presented with this petition from a group of quote unquote colored men that says here, we are taxpayers and we would like to take part in selecting the mayor. And the list of names on that petition was very long, uh, but it included Antoine Graves, uh, McHenry, Columbus King, Crumbly, Ear Carter. You know, men I have talked about in many episodes. Uh, they had a very long, heated debate, the, the white men did, and in a final motion approved a white-only primary. There were only four dissenting votes. I don't know for sure if John Cooper was one of those dissenting votes, but the following day, the man thought it was necessary to write like a letter to the editor in the Constitution. And by the way, he had served as mayor in 1886. And he writes, quote, I said there are some Negroes in Atlanta who were more competent and more willing to select the best officers for the city government than some white men in the city. End quote. I did not say fit to represent. God forbid, I guess, that he would insinuate that a black man could represent someone in government. By 1894, the white primary was the gold standard, and so it had been used for elections in any position, mayor, alderman, clerk, city attorney, city engineer, tax collector, even Cemetery Sexton. By 1897, vocal opposition to the white primary was actually coming from white labor leaders. Uh, There was a guy named E.A. MacArthur. He was in charge of the railway union and J.H. Bouger. They spoke to the committee and they expressed that primaries made it impossible for labor unions to run their own candidate because, um, at their estimation, it costs like $5,000 to even get elected to that place. They also did not feel represented um, and they wanted to switch to a convention model. The idea was that mass meetings would be held in each ward of Atlanta the same night um, and then Boozer chimed in and he was saying that Atlanta was being run by quote unquote ring rule. So it's interesting to me to see, again, we see this many times in history, where The black community's cause and the white labor or working class cause were very similar, and yet they couldn't really see each other in that sense because they were conditioned to be, you know, thought of as separately. Um, But this was very much, the complaint was very much that Atlanta was being ruled by this group of six or seven elite white men, and that wasn't fair. By 1899, cities across Georgia are following Atlanta's lead. There are articles about voting issues in Rome, Georgia, and how it is, quote, suffering similar to Savannah and Augusta, and Atlanta is so lucky to revel in the calm they get from white primaries, end quote. They also went on to say that, quote, if the white people of our sister city would unite in adopting Atlanta's plan of white primaries— They would, after one trial, determine to never go back to the old system, where the struggle for the Negro vote becomes nothing less than a public scandal, end quote. Decatur also jumps on the bandwagon, Um, I think Marietta shortly thereafter. In another state, I think it was a northern state, there was a prominent black Democrat, which is rare at the time, named Charles Taylor, and he proposes a national convention to replace the white primaries. And Democratic leaders, again, write notes to the paper. They're like, oh, this idea is just so dumb. It couldn't possibly have been his idea. Um, you know, white primaries are the result of Negro voters blindly and ignorantly being Republicans, like they're not even using their brains. And that was a lot of, um, a lot of these articles were almost, I couldn't even repeat them, and it was very much the idea and the thought was that black voters were not intelligent enough, aware enough, capable enough to, to vote. You know, that their vote didn't count because they weren't as developed enough. And, and this was repeated many times across many states. Sadly, by 1900, the white primary was in every city across Georgia and most of the South. And, you know, at this point is like a time-honored tradition. Since winning the Democratic primary in the South almost always meant winning the general election, barring Black voters from this white primary was disenfranchisement. But you're, you're thinking like, wait, wait, we passed the 15th Amendment, right? You know, the one that says the right of any U.S. citizen to vote shall not be denied on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. And we did. We did pass that amendment. And that was interpreted to mean that the state could not discriminate against race. But the question here was, was a political party, in this case, the Democratic Party, considered a state or was it a private entity? And the Supreme Court uh, considered the constitutionality of the Texas white primary, that's kind of like the main basis of this fight, three times. Uh, 1927, there was Nixon v. Herndon. Uh, 1932, there was another case. And then even later, I think 1953. The black community in Atlanta had been pushing against the white primary since its inception. Like I said, they showed up at that first meeting with a petition. In 1934, A.J. Williams, who was president of the Atlanta Boosters League, and Frank White went down to Curtis Drugstore at the corner of Forsyth and Mitchell, and they tried to cast their vote in a white primary. Election officials told them to come back and vote in the general election. In 1940, John Wesley Dobbs, who was then president of the Atlanta Civic and Political League, sent a letter to Ralph McGill expressing, you know, needing to abolish the white primary. Um, There's many, many instances of this. In that same year, in 1940, the state of Georgia had only 20,000 Black voters registered, and that contributed to only 3% of eligible Black Southern voters who were registered. Smith v. Allwright would change all that. So that was the landmark U.S. Supreme Court decision from 1944 that overturned the Texas state law that allowed parties to set their own internal rules, including the white primaries. So this ruling affected um, all the states where the party would use this white primary rule. And in 1944, the Georgia Democratic primary happened and thousands of voters, white and black, um, appeared to register at the Fulton County Courthouse. So there was almost immediate change. By 1947, Georgia had 125,000 registered black voters, and then that contributed to a percentage in the South that was up now at 20%. It also gave rise to many African-American voter uh, registration drives, committees, leagues. I I talked about this in the John Wesley Dobbs episode because he led two of them. He also did a lot with voting rights, but that's possibly a whole other episode in the future. So there you have it. The short story of Georgia's all white primary. Thank you everyone for listening. Remember to leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen. There's also a Patreon link in the show notes where you can support the podcast. Hope everyone has a great weekend and I'll talk to you next week.